Nope, I've got one phone and one microphone. All right. Well, good evening. I'll go ahead and get started in the interest of time because, as we all know, Supercross is on, coming on right now. And I know that we want to be watching Supercross, but we love Jesus, so let's come to chapel and hope the preacher don't go long. And, uh, hey, I, I will do my best and, and get us out of here in time for the uh, in time for the 450 heats. How's that? So, um few years ago. I'll go ahead and just get started with it and we'll, we'll get into it. I'm excited to be with you. My name is Chuck Leemaster with Team Faith and uh, we do this every every round. So for the next uh, 12, 13 rounds, however many that are left after this, uh, we'll be here at 7 o'clock uh, on Vendor Row. And uh, I wanted to bring to your attention a few years ago, actually I think it was 2013, the History Channel came out with a mini-series that to the shock of everyone took the number one time slot for cable TV on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. The, the, uh, the producer was a guy named Bark Burnett, which you might be familiar with that name because he produces Survivor and uh, The Voice and Shark Tank and all these reality TV shows. Well, he got the idea. He is a Christian, and he got the idea. Let's do a series called The Bible. You guys remember this? It was 2013. It just blew up. Like millions of people were tuning into History Channel to watch the Bible series. And uh, everybody said, well, man, who knew that the Bible would be that interesting? And it was actually a very well done series. Uh, I watched I watched all five episodes. It was two hours per episode. I watched all five of them. And there were some things in there that you raised your eyebrows at, like some ninja angels and Noah's sons weren't really the right age. But overall, it was actually pretty well done. And it netted, I think it netted just on, on television advertising alone, it netted like $13 million in profit. And so uh, the following year, what that did was it, it set the stage for the following year. The following year, another movie came out uh, produced by Hollywood. And even though the movie had been in the works, the Bible and History Channel kind of set the stage for uh, the, the arc or whatever it was, a uh, Russell Crowe movie. Um, Noah, thank you. Yeah, the guy that built the ark. Noah came out the following year. Now, it was an absolutely atrocious movie. It was horrible. I remember I went to uh, Japan with Jordan and Dave Ashburn there. and Jordan went over there, and, and uh, he, he put it to him over there on the series. And on the way home, we had this long, long flight, and there was nothing to do. And it was a free movie called Noah with Russell Crowe. How could you go wrong? Oh, my God. It was painful. It was an awful, awful movie. But do you know... That movie made over $250 million in profit. The next year, another movie comes out, Exodus, Gods and Kings. I haven't, to this day, I haven't watched it. But it made over $150 million in profit. And you're like, wow, that gets a whole new twist on what Paul said in Timothy, that the scripture is breathed by God and is profitable. <laughs> it's not obviously not what he was talking about. But Hollywood got the idea that the Bible is profitable. And they started chasing it a little bit. Actually, what that shows me is that this country is hungry. People, we are hungry. God's creation, we're hungry to know what the Bible says. The problem is, is that most of our lives, if you're like me, you don't really know what the Bible says. I mean, when I was growing up, the Bible was actually more like a phone book. You could either beat somebody over the head with it, or you could open it up and say, hmm, I'm sad today. Well, here's some scriptures I should read. Or I'm angry today. Here's some scriptures I should read. Or it was just a phone book. Thumb to it and find what you need for that moment. And we totally missed, my growing up, I totally missed 
the story of God. And so for the next 13 weeks or the, the rest of this season, what I want to do is I want to walk us through the story of God and how it relates to us even today, how it comes to life and how God has been moving since the very beginning of His creation. And so we're going we're gonna to go through the Bible. And just to remind you real quick, Paul, what he did say in, in 2 Timothy 3.16 was that all Scripture is breathed by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the, the man of God or the woman of God, the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Or another way to say that is that knowing Jesus and applying the Bible will make, make your life better make you better at life. Certainly as you are better at life, your life is better. I love that saying. This book right here, written by 40 different people over a time frame of 1,500 years, all compiled into one book called The Bible, but it actually contains 66 different books. And I want to challenge you to get into it. If you do not have a Bible or you need a Bible that's easier to read than maybe Maybe the, the, the King James Version that you've got at home. I've got a stack of them right here. You don't even need to ask permission. Just come up afterwards, grab yourself a Bible. Would love to get rid of them. Send them all to good homes. You know somebody that needs one, come and get it. 66 books, 40 different authors, 1,500 years in the making. And we're going to study it this year. We're going to walk through it. Obviously, it's going to be a pretty quick walk. I encourage you as you get into it to remember always two things. Anytime that you pick up the Bible, no matter where you pick it up, no matter where you're reading from, there are two things to remember. The fall and the redemption. Oh, man, those are big big church words, but we're going to get into it, okay? The fall and the redemption. You see, everything centers around those two things. God, when He created the world, He gave the man, He gave mankind the choice to love Him. Obviously, mankind, we rejected Him. That was the fall. We did things our own way. That's called sin. Sin entered the world. And I don't need to tell you about sin because you know the anger that lurks in your own heart. You know the lust, the pride. You know if you have kids. You know that you didn't have to teach them how to talk back at you. You know you don't even have to teach them how to be bad. It's just that sin resides within us. That was the fall. And so then God comes along with a promise. He says, I'm going to, I promise I'm going to restore my relationship to a right standing with me. And he takes a guy named Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to use you to do this. I'm going to give you lots of people, lots of land through you. The entire world is going to be blessed. Of course, with that promise, as we start to creep through time, we find out that the people that God used to accomplish that, per- that promise, most of them didn't even care about the promise. Most of them had no clue that they were a part of God's greater story. They had no concern for future generations, no concern for eternity, Certainly no concern for you or me, but yet God was faithful. He was and is faithful and continues to be today. And then you come to the New Testament and you find Jesus, God's own Son. God's perfect Son who came to earth, who lived that life that we could not live, died, buried, resurrected, and that changed everything. God's promise coming true. And and with that resurrection, the church explodes. Which up to that point, there wasn't even a term called the church. But the church started with Jesus, and you see its explosion, and when you come to the book of Revelation, you find out that there is more to come, and that eternity awaits us. But it all started in the beginning. So we're going to dig into that tonight. God, thanks a lot for the opportunity to be here at a race, at a racetrack. We gather under this tent, we gather in your name, we ask your Holy Spirit to bless us, to give us ears to hear, teach us, inspire us, encourage us, draw us close to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the beginning, 
starts out, God created the heavens and the earth. Pretty basic. You read through Genesis chapter 1, you find out that God spoke creation into existence. He speaks, and it happens. He says, let there be light, and there is light. He says, there's going to be darkness. We're going to divide the darkness from the daylight. We're, we're going to... He says, let there be grass, let there be flowers, and it was so. And every day of creation, God speaks, it happens. At the end of every day, He says, this is a good thing. This is good. On the sixth day, God creates the animals. After He's done creating the animals, the livestock, the beasts of the earth, and everything that creeps, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. You skip over to chapter 2, and you find out a little bit more specifics on what God actually did there. It says that the, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We read that. If you grew up in church or Sunday school or whatever, you read that, and you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. But did you catch that? That God, actually, the creator of the universe, who had the power, who had the ability to speak, and it just happened. That God took the time to stoop down to the earth and create the man from the clay. Like Michelangelo creating the statue of David. God, the ultimate artist, creates the man, hand forms him, and then breathes into him the breath of life. The man comes alive in the image of God. Two arms, two legs, eyes, ears, nose, mouth. In the image of God. And then God says, everything that you see here, given this to you, you are the pinnacle of my creation. You are the most important of my creation. Of course, we know, we know that God gave this guy a name too, right? Adam. So we know that Adam is there. But once Adam is there, in the six days of creation, God always says, it is good. But with Adam, he actually said something a little bit different. You know what he said? He said, it's not good. He said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed it up in his place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now the question is, why? Why would God do that? God, who we have already seen, he can speak it into existence, he can form it from the clay of the ground, make a statue, breathe life into it, but yet when it comes to making a woman, he does it yet a different way. He takes a rib from Adam, puts him to sleep, takes a rib, forms the woman. We ask the question, well, why, why did God do it that way? You know what, Adam actually answers that question for us. Because when he sees Eve, he says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. You see, she she was a special creation, not just to God, but to the man. Did you catch what he said there? He said, This at last? You see, God, when he created Adam, he gave him dominion over the entire earth. Adam's first job was to name the animals. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right? That's what Adam's first job was. But there was no suitable helpmate for him. So then God puts him to sleep. And from his side, he creates, he fashions the woman. Notice that, uh, notice that it's, it's very specific the way that God did it. Didn't take, didn't take a piece of Adam's head and fashion Eve. She's not the Lord over him. Didn't take a piece of Adam's ankle bone so that he's to walk over her. But from his side, the perfect definition of marriage is better together 
at the very next verse, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. <laughs> These last five minutes, you just heard my wedding speech. Anytime I'm asked to officiate a wedding, that is the message. is how, how God created, uniquely created the man, and then specially created the woman, not just to be a special creation to him, but to the man as well. And so when you get... When your rib hurts, you don't get rid of it. You don't break up a marriage because what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. That's kind of the wedding speech there. But how relevant it is for every single one of us sitting here today. Isn't it cool how from the very beginning, God had a plan and He had a purpose. Everything that He's done to this point had a purpose. But of course, in today's age seems like we're very confused about what God's purpose was. And the reason I believe that we are confused about what is a man, what is a woman, what's the definition of marriage, the reason that we are is because, man, we've, <laughs> we've forgotten. We've forgotten all about this right here. This has become more like mysterious ancient literature that maybe you would study it in a college classroom, but that's about it. But I'm telling you, this thing has the power to change your life. This is the story of God. And so as we continue that keep, that, keep that in mind as we continue. 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that God is not the author of confusion. Remember, he said that all Scripture is profitable for teaching, teaching us the right way. It's, teaching, it's profitable for teaching us who God is, what He's been up to, and what He's about to accomplish. And so as we move to the Garden of Eden... We see that God has created the entire world. He's got the man. He's got the woman. He's got them together. We've had the first wedding in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is the perfect place. Matter of fact, it says that every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food is found in the Garden of Eden. Chapter 2, verse 16 says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you do, you will surely die. Chapter 3 starts out with this. It says, that, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that, the God, that God had made. <laughs> no doubt about that, man. I hate snakes. I can't stand snakes. Anytime I see them, I either run screaming or I, I go kill them. You know? The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. You don't have to convince me that that part of the Bible is certainly true. The snake said to the woman, Man, you got to stop right there. Wait a second. Hold on. Did you just say a talking snake? Remember this. This is the very beginning of time. Who's to say that snakes can't talk? Who's to say with just two people on the earth that weird things aren't happening every single day? I'm just going to take it at face value because we know, we know today, we know who that snake was. Matter of fact, we think as you read Genesis chapter 3, you think you know that the snake is Satan. But the text actually doesn't say that that snake is Satan. You don't find that out until Revelation chapter 12, the very last book of the Bible, you find out that that, that deceiver... That old serpent, the devil, is who we're meeting right here in chapter 3. As he comes to Eve, he says, he says, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any of the tree of the garden? Isn't this what the bully does? I mean, what, what did God say? He says, Don't eat that one tree. But doesn't the bully, when he comes to, to taunt you and torment you, isn't that how he approaches it? Did your, did your parents say that you can't go to any movies? <laughs> no, they said I can't go to rated R movies. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. Everybody else is doing it. Your parents are holding out on you. You're missing a good show, missing a good time, making you kind of wish that you were there. This is exactly what happens in Genesis chapter 3. So Satan says, uh, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the tree of the garden? 
He says, Don't you know that if you eat of this tree, you will become like God? Knowing knowledge of that the tree was the knowledge of, of good and evil. He says, Don't you know that if you eat of this, you will become like God, knowing good and evil? Now hold on a second. Weren't we already created in the image of God? Didn't God say when He created us, I'll create man in our image? We're already like God. But Satan comes along, he says, you know what, God's holding out on you. This is an age-old temptation. Satan's tricks honestly have not changed at all. I fell for it. As I got older, as I got into adulthood, I realized that uh, I heard that lie from Satan coming and saying, did God really say that you can't eat of any of the trees around here? Did God really say you're not allowed to have any fun in life? Well, no, that's not at all what God said, but God's holding out on you. Man, if you'll do what everybody else is doing, if you go out there and if you'll live for yourself, if you'll not worry about what anybody else thinks about you, if you'll just be the person that you are, then you'll be complete and you'll be fulfilled. And so he falls for it. and She eats the apple or whatever it is. She goes crunch, she bites into it. So the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight for the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She ate and gave some to her husband. In other words, it was delicious. It was everything that she had hoped that it was going to be. Now, the question that we might ask is, well, why, why if God did not want her to eat of that tree, if God didn't want Adam and Eve to eat of that tree, why did he put it in the middle of the garden? Why did he give them the option? Because God created us for relationship. He created us because He wanted to love us and He wanted to be loved in return. You can't have love without choice. You can't have choice without free will. There's one rule right over here. Don't do that. They went ahead. They did it. God comes down in the cool of the day to have relationship with them, which they were created for. Comes down and says, Adam, where are you, man? You always meet me right here. And Adam says, well, I'm hiding over here. Well, why are you hiding? You didn't eat of that tree found out that you don't have any clothes on, right? You didn't eat of that tree, did you? Adam said, well, you know how this story goes, right? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. The snake didn't have a leg to stand on. You've heard that one before, right? <laughs> so God curses the snake. That's exactly what happens, is that God curses the snake. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head, you will bruise his heel. God's not actually talking to the snake in this moment here. He's actually talking to Satan, who we talked about in Revelation chapter 12, that deceiver of the nations, that ancient serpent, the deceiver of the whole world. God's talking directly to him, and he says, I'm going to put friction between you, between Satan, and the woman's offspring, all the rest of mankind. You're going to be at odds from this point forward. But her offspring, you're going to bruise his heel, he's going to bruise your head. You fast forward the story to Jesus, God's own son, who came to this earth, lived that perfect life. What happened to Jesus? He got crucified. Satan bruised his heel. In the 1960s, there was a, uh, a bone box that was discovered in ancient Israel. And uh, it was of somebody that had been crucified. It was a very, very rare find because when the Romans crucified people, they didn't give them any dignity. There was no such thing as a burial. They did bury, they allowed Jesus a dignity in death to be buried. But that guy wouldn't stay in the grave, right? So we have none of his remains. We finally have the remains of this guy that was buried. Find him in the 1960s. Dig up the ossuary box, the bone box. And in the heel bone was sticking a nail from where the guy had been crucified. All the pictures I've seen of Jesus have, have the crucifixion. Maybe his feet are on top of each other with one spike down through the nails. 
the way that uh, the way that this archaeological find found was that the the the, the nail went through the heel bone and nailed into the side of the cross. What an excruciating way to die. How painful that must be. But how alive it makes Genesis chapter 3 verse 14. Satan, you will bruise his heel. He will bruise your head. What happened on the third day? Tomb was empty. Death was defeated. Satan, the author of death. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Adam and Eve, not here anymore, right? 6,000 years ago. They died. And Jesus defeated that death. How awesome. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way up to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. You get to see that that promise actually come alive. But you fast forward the story. And the first thing that happens after Adam and Eve and the garden, the fall, they get kicked out of the, out of the Garden of Eden... Cain and Abel. Sin just starts running rampant all across the earth. Ten generations later, ten generations from Adam and Eve, count them down, ten generations, and the earth is just full of sin. Full of people, but completely wild, out of control, completely wicked. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he made the man. It grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from the face of the earth. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> we hear that and we say, well, wait a second. Did that flood, did it really happen? We can talk apologetics later on, which is the defense of the Bible, how science aligns with the Bible. But let me just, t- country boy story here. I live in Tennessee, about 500 miles from the ocean. We've got a tourist attraction in Tennessee called Cumberland Caverns. Maybe you, as you're passing through, maybe you see the signs for Cumberland Caverns. Stop in there. Stop in on a really hot day and go into the caves. It'll be 55 degrees. Great place to cool off. They're pretty cool. Still got a moonshine still up in there, some history in there. But look up in the ceiling. What you'll see in the ceiling, 500 miles from the ocean, starfish and all kinds of seashells up in the ceiling. It's like that on every continent across the, uh, across the globe. Flood comes along. It's like that mansion that you see maybe in the movies or maybe you know of a certain place big beautiful house gets built falls into disrepair gets abandoned falls into disrepair mother nature just takes it over vines the roof falls in until finally you're at the point where there is nothing that a contractor can do with that except to bulldoze it over and god says okay the wickedness is exceeding on the earth we're going to hit the reset button with the flood that's god's choice that's the way that god did it and there's evidence all around us that that's the way that it was but here's the really cool thing you fast forward that story another 4,500 years and you come to the story of Jesus, how this whole movement of Christianity starts. And then when Jesus leaves this earth, he says he commissions his followers. He says, go and share the gospel. Go tell people who I am and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what baptism is? When I baptize someone, it's because they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They said, you know what? I am turning my life over to Jesus. I'm turning from who I was. I'm turning to Jesus. I don't want to be that person anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus. I place my faith and my trust in Him. And baptism is going to be that outward physical picture of what's happened inside my heart. And so we'll go down into the stream or the creek or, or wherever. One of the worst places I ever did it was late at night after a dirt bike camp. It was a creek. And the only water deep enough was at the base of this big oak tree that had the roots out there. It was a snake hole. I know it was. 
I knew there were snakes in there, but that was the only place of water, and I just had to pray, God, don't let me get bit. And we baptized some people in there. But anytime I baptize people, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in your sins and trespasses, risen to new life in Jesus Christ. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, matter of fact, the very disciple that Jesus said on you, I will build my church. Peter in 1 Peter 3 8 said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism corresponds to this, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't it so cool? that a practice that we still participate in today started 4,500 years ago with a guy named Noah when God said, I'm going to wash away all the sin from the earth. And now we get to relive that every time we baptize someone. 66 books, 40 different authors, 1,500 years to write. It is a fascinating story of the fall and the redemption. God fulfilling His promise through the ages and through the pages. When we come back in round two, we're going to look at the Exodus. We're going to look at God's promise to to Abraham. God, thanks a lot for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. I pray that you will continue to draw me closer to yourself and the people that are here, people that are gathered in your name. I pray that you will continue to pursue us and grow us. Show us, enlighten us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me tonight. As I understand it, Supercross is on over at, uh, what is it, uh, sign up there. they got a big tent and a TV. I've got Bibles here. If you need one, stop by and say hi anytime. Thanks a lot. That? What kind of board of Well, you can preach it. Oh, cool.